This is the Living in Mid-Bloom podcast, lighthearted and heartfelt conversations about what it looks like to live, heal, and blossom in middle age. I'm your host, April Pruitt. Let's get our bloom on. Beth and I continue our discussion, starting with therapists and that they should be properly licensed and how to determine that. We also talk about kids aging out of the foster care system and an amazing organization called Connect Our Kids. It's an interesting starting therapy. And uh, in previous podcasts, I've mentioned different situations, unfortunately, because I was like, you know, therapy is important, but this is some crap I ran into in therapy. <laughs> yeah. But I'm building a website right now, but I also have just my own personal tips about therapy. I have a long disclaimer. When I do those episodes, I am not a professional. I may be a professional person who's been in therapy. (laughs) But again, I'm just curious and I want to understand things. Yeah. And I'll just say this briefly and move on that I was working with someone that the last seven years I was working with her, she wasn't licensed. She wasn't doing any continuing education. Mm. I would call her from work desperately in pain and you know, we may talk for 10 minutes and she can see me in a couple of days and she charges me for those 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. I successfully sued her, but wow. I don't want anybody to have to go through something like that because you're already vulnerable. And then yeah. this person takes advantage of you. So it's important for me to continue to share that message about get help. Just make sure you're protecting yourself. And that's in everything we do. Yeah. So many of us had assumed that Doctors know everything. Your lawyer knows that. No, you get to ask questions. Yes. You you get to make your own decision about, is it worth it to you? Will this person be what you need? Absolutely. I have tips too. That is so important to make sure that your mental health provider is licensed and they should have that information on their website. It should be right next to their name on different organizations. And there's places you can check to see that they have their license, that it's active, that that they are, you know, keeping up with their continuing education and all that stuff. So I found this out from my next therapist. Mm. They're both, what's the, the LSW, mm-hmm. a licensed social worker. Yes. And this new therapist kept saying, oh, so she's a licensed. I said, yeah. And she's like, oh, okay. I don't know if I saw her name on, she's kind of hinting. Mm. So I thought, well, oh, let me look. Yeah. Sure enough, she was, nope, hadn't been licensed. I confronted her. In the state of Missouri, it's legal to have one party know of a recording. So I recorded her mm. and she admitted it. And then I got an attorney and wow, she did some damage. There was a 16-year-old girl she was working with. You know, and why should I know that? The thing she said. No, that's a red flag too. Like if, you're, if your therapist is sharing things with you about other clients or or about their own life, is overly sharing about their own stuff that's going on. Those are red flags for ethical breaches. I always in, try to encourage people to <laughs> look out for the red flags. And you just wouldn't know. You don't know what you don't know, right? Like you don't go to that many therapists, most people. So how do you know if it's the first time you've been to someone or 
it ended up being a codependent relationship, but I didn't see that. I didn't, you know, I didn't really see that. And like I said, I was in the financial field and she knew that. And so she had some questions about her broker and I'm helping her, telling her about the investment and, no. you know, all of this stuff. No. Yeah. And when I finally started figuring out my, you know, my own trauma is when my brain was like, get her out of your life. Mm-hmm. And I did. I did. Oh, good. Thank goodness you were able to. And I'm glad that you took legal action to prevent that from happening to more people. It was brave. Yeah. Yeah. Connect our kids. Tell me about that. Did you create this or were you working with somebody else? A couple of things. No, I did not create Connect Our Kids. Connect Our Kids is a tech platform that helps children in foster care find extended family members as well as fictive kin, which are like, you know, coaches, neighbors, teachers from the past to wrap support and love around them. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It makes it so much faster and more convenient for social workers to do the actual searching for the people that are important in a child's life. Because what most people don't really understand, unless you're in the foster care field, like I've been for the last decade or so, is that foster children often move from home to home with, you know, some have eight, 10 placements, and then 20% yeah. don't get adopted at all. 20% of the 500,000 children that are in foster care at any given time, they don't ever get adopted and they age out. It's called aging out of the system. And what happens then is that 18 or 21, you are on your own. You have no financial support. You have no relational support. And the outcomes for those folks are terrible. Typically, that's who we are see in our jails and our prison system. That's who we see on the street, who are our homeless population. That is, um, you know, people that are addicted, committing crimes. It all is like foster care pipeline to prison is is what some people are calling it. And what we have are people that don't have connections. It's people that have lost their connections through no fault of their own. I mean, let's say you're disrupted from your biological family. Um, There's trauma, immense trauma there from being separated from your biological parents. There maybe was abuse or neglect taking place, which is also traumatic. And then you're put into the foster care system and you're in a foster home and you have all these big behaviors. Your emotions are all over the place because Mm. of the trauma you've endured. And the foster parents don't know how to handle it. So they say, I need this child removed. And then they go to the next house. And now now that child is not only traumatized twice, now they're traumatized three times because they've been abandoned by another adult. And it just, the cycle just continues and they end up aging out without any support. And all along the way, our social workers are overwhelmed. They're, they're burnout. They're dealing with so much vicarious mm-hmm. trauma. And Although they mean well and want to do the best they can, they just often don't have the time to sit down and really search the child's history and the child's relatives and to find the people that have been lost to them. And so if you take a child who's 18, who's aging out with nobody to care for them or guide them, you know, help them make a resume, help them make life choices that are healthy, you know, all the things that you still need at that young age. Yeah. 
this is why we try to make it easier to find those connections with our technology and keep track of the communications between the different people that were in a child's life. For the children that are aging out, is there any kind of, I don't know, training or direction or even a little stipend given to them before they just walk out the door? Mm. If they are living in a um, program, like there's there's group homes for teens who are aging out. It's called independent living programs. And so these are kids who are like usually 14, 15 and up who the system has figured out they're probably not going to be adopted. And so they are put into these group homes called independent living homes where they have staff who care for them and try to teach them some life skills and but it's mostly about it's not about so much about their mental health or their trauma it's like here's how you mm-hmm. search for a job or here's how you do laundry here's how you you know these are paid people right. in the child's life and unfortunately they're not permanent and yeah. that isn't going to make the same kind of impact as having an actual person who claims you as their own, as part of their family. And also they've lost so much of their identity. So even if let's say you're a teenager and you're aging out of the system and you're like, no, I don't, I don't want to be reconnected to anyone from my past, but I would like to know like why I have this type of hair or this color eyes or who in my family had this trait or this characteristic. By searching and getting connected to people from the past, you'd be surprised the information that people find that gives them such solace and such comfort to know, like, that's where I got it from. That's, that's why this happened. Oh, or, that's major. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that sense of identity and a connection to something bigger than yourself is so important yeah. and powerful. Yeah. So the technology is just doing amazing things and it's, it's really, easy to use and keeps track of everything for you and makes it just streamlined the family search and engagement process for social workers. And it's free. (laughs) It's completely free to any social worker in the country. That was my next question. You know, who has access to it? Oh, that's wonderful. Yep. Wow. Yep. So you do have to register and like prove that you are a social worker or a child welfare right. professional or a CASA, like a court-appointed special advocates can also use this technology. There's criteria you have to meet, but once right. you've met that criteria right. and you know, you're know you deemed to be using it for the right reasons, then you can access it for free. It makes it so much easier to search for a child's extended family. Sometimes yeah. in these situations, they've found people that didn't even know the child was in foster care. And all the success stories are on our blog. Oh, wow. On the website, there's page, oh. there's like page after page after page of success stories from using our technology. Is that connectourkids.org? Yes. Connectourkids.org. If you scroll down to the bottom of the homepage, there should be a button or a link that you click on that's our blog And I want to touch on your book. Oh, thank you. It's just so sweet looking. I have, (laughs) you know, you're looking like, what's, what is this about? A grand who? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But you know, when I, when I think about it, I I can't imagine that there would be many books. It's almost like just this kind of missed huge population of people that are uh, affected. 
tell me how you made the decision to do that. And I know you said that you just had your daughter and you were working on during that time that you were at home. Somehow you were able to come up with this creative way of letting people know about this army of of people yes. and the importance of it. I bought it. I haven't read it yet, but I kind of like popped at the end and it's not like a pat and then everybody live happily, you know. It, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I did that on purpose because, you know, often these situations aren't a happy ending. And we can't sugarcoat it for kids. Because they already know. They've experienced right. it. Right. And so A Grand Family for Sullivan is a children's book that I created and published myself for grandparents and grandchildren, grandchildren who are being raised by their grandparents due to unfortunate circumstances like the addiction and mental health problems. It could be incarceration, Mm -hmm. all all kinds of reasons why biological parents Mm -hmm. can't care for their children. And there's 8 million children being raised by their grandparents in our country. And then out of those 8 million children who are being raised by their grandparents, 3 million of those families don't have the biological parent in the home at all. That means that it's just grandma and and child, there is no biological parent in the picture. So that's a huge population. I mean, yeah, it's very unfortunate. And we have like a missing generation of parents because of the opioid epidemic. Yeah. And these children are traumatized and the grandparents are traumatized and they are trying to make it through the best that they can. And about 50% of my caseload when I was working in homes as a therapist were kinship families. That's another word for Grand families. Okay. And I liked the word grand families instead of kinship families because it just sounded, what would you say? It just sounded like something to be proud of. Something more softer and Mm -hmm. loving, I think. Yeah. What percentage are kids of color in these situations? You say 8 million. I don't know if you have any stats about that. It's predominantly African Americans and people of color. It's definitely shifted in that direction more mm-hmm. so than than with the white population. Really? Yeah. You 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 saying more? There's a becoming a higher percentage. There's more people of color living in grand families than there are compared to the population. Like you know, when you take into consideration the differences in the numbers of, of population disproportionately more people of color are grand families mm-hmm. than, than not. You know, that's, again, it okay. relates back to poverty and racism and yeah. addiction and incarceration. Like our jails and prisons are full of yeah. people of color, right? Those people mm-hmm. of color have mm-hmm. children and they need to be cared for. Right. It's just uh, unfortunate. It's a very unfortunate situation. These children now, uh, adults are, I know there's so much anger involved because between the family they happen to be born in and involved in the system. And it's quite clear that they are overlooked. That's a shame. It's a shame. Yeah. You know, our country is, I don't know what our country is anymore. It's 
so many things that are happening I never thought would happen. Mm-hmm. That there are actually people that believe the world is flat. It boggles my mind. It's a strange I'll let time. that go. It's a strange <laughs> time to be alive. <laughs> And did I read a couple of weeks ago about the confirmation about alien aircraft? I mean, I'm just like, what is happening? What is going on? What in the (laughs) damn hell is going on? (laughs) Exactly. I don't want to know. Let me just crawl into bed. (laughs) I know. I think everybody's feeling that existential, that existential fear and dread is strong. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in our generation because of everything we've had yeah. to face. The book really was to support those families because there just weren't any books out there a couple of years ago for grand families and kinship families. There weren't any children's books, I should say. There's lots of books for adults, mm-hmm. but not for children. So it's just been very successful because it's out there on Amazon. Thank God for Amazon and for the good that they yeah, do, right? Absolutely. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure it's not all good, but because of them, my book has been able to reach people I would never be able to contact or find. That's you know, amazing. Find. So there's less children in the world who feel alone in their situation as a grandchild being raised by their grandparents. And that's what I hear when I get messages from people. It's just the best, the best thing in the world when I hear from a grandparent and they say, oh, my. Oh, you know, this sure. is just what my grandchild needed. They they felt so alone. They didn't think anyone else was going through this. And, and now they can see themselves in a children's book. How does it get into the hands of the right people? Hmm. Because with technology, yeah, Amazon.com, you know, everybody knows how to do that. But then you have this older generation raising these kids. Yes. How do they get access to that? Right. It's tricky. You know, that's probably the biggest obstacle for me getting the book out to the people who need it because they're not as online as the rest of us usually. Mm -hmm. So I have Mm -hmm. tried to use social media, which has been partially successful because some people are on. And believe it or not, the age of these grandparents are much trend pretty young. You know, some people are in their 50s. Uh, You know, it's yeah. it's amazing. That's, when I that's a good point. A grandmother in their forties. I'm like, oh my goodness, it happens. So, so those are the ones I capture yeah. online, right? The younger grandparents, and then the older ones. I've been reaching yeah. out to kinship organizations because every state has. If you go to grandfamilies.org, every state has a fact sheet with all the different kinship organizations and nonprofits that serve this population in your state. And so, I've been trying to kind of go to each one of those and reach out and offer the book to them. Oh, that's great. Often I donate it when I can. I donate copies of the book to people I meet who are grand families and I've donated copies to different kinship organizations, but I think they're the ones who are finding me and then distributing Mm -hmm. them to the actual grandparents. So that's kind of the way I've had to kind of go around <laughs> around and over and through to try and find those grandparents. But it's people like you who, you know, have your podcast. You know, there might I guarantee there's someone who listens to your podcast yeah. as a grand family. And if you are, email me at Beth at BethTyson.com and I'll send you a copy of the book for free. But yeah, I guarantee you have at least one who listens to this who um, is raising their grandchildren. And that would be great. And I'm going to have all that information on my site, but I'll say it again. It's BethTyson.com. That's B as in boy, E-T-H-T. 
T-Y-S as in Sam, O-N as in Nancy, dot com. Thank you. So important. So important. And I know that as important this work is, you're making a choice, I think a difficult choice, to be in the children's lives as a CASA volunteer. I mean, I think, honestly, that's tough work because probably the importance or, you know, how you appear in their life, how you show up for them in their life. Yeah. Yeah, that's been a really long journey. It's been tough at times to even to even get to them, you know, for, for, we're at least a half an hour away from each other and um, they live in a very dangerous mm. part of Philadelphia. And so the mental armor that I have to mm-hmm. put on to go see them is tough because I'm a mother myself and like, God forbid something happens exactly to me while I'm there. And, you know, it's, it's very challenging emotionally for that, but also other reasons, you know, just to see the, the struggles that they're going through. But I stay in contact and I show up and I'm there for them in court and I advocate for them by sharing my recommendations because the children, they don't have any voice in the courtroom. Mm. Um, Like the social workers have their, their legal team and, you know, the biological parent will have their legal representation, but the children don't have anyone really looking out for their best interest. And so we often see like, those two other parties that are legally represented don't always have the best interest of the children at heart. And so we are there to be the voice for the children and to say, this is what they want. And this is what, as someone who's close to the children, here's what we think is best for them. And Mm -hmm. the judges weigh that heavily. The judges take Acasa's voice and Acasa's recommendations very heavily because the children don't have legal representation. So it's wow. Powerful work. Does your daughter have any idea of uh, the work you do? She does. She She does. She's actually met my girls, um, the two girls I advocate for. Ah. They get together for play dates. The two, my daughter and the one other girl are the same (laughs) age. Like they're only a couple of weeks apart. So we've done activities together and um, she knows all about them and she understands that they're in foster care and she knows what foster care is. And I think I see her wheels turning. Like she doesn't fully get it. She knows that they're not with their mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And she knows, you know, that sometimes parents have problems and they can't always care for their kids. And when they can't, you know, they still need to be safe. So we find safe adults for them to take care of them. So like very simplistic understanding of it. Mm-hmm. But I do like mm-hmm. when we ever it comes up, like I see her her wheels turning and she always asks me <laughs> a little bit one more question, one more question about it. You know, it's like right. she's definitely it's definitely impacted her in a positive way, I think, for her to have empathy yeah. for people from different types of families. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure it's it's good for the foster kids as well. You've um, essentially welcomed them, you know, into your life. So, well, is there anything that you want to add or, or share before we end our conversation? I've learned a lot. That's for sure. Oh, thank you. Me too. I, like I said, I always get just as much out of these conversations as I feel like I give. So thank you for being so open to sharing your story with me. You're welcome. I, 
you know, that's what I can give and let people know that they can, they can survive these things. You know, you can, but you do need people to help you. You have to be willing to be vulnerable and you have to be careful about who you trust. Yeah, absolutely. I would say the two things I just want to share are resources, really. One is the the All Connected Academy, which I was co-creator of. It is a series of short animated videos available for free on YouTube that explain to children, I would say, middle school and up, what childhood trauma is and how it impacts their lives and what they can do to cope with it. So I recommend mm. watching some of those videos and seeing if you have, if you're raising or working with children with trauma, you can search for Connect Our Kids All Connected on YouTube and you'll find those videos that I helped create. And um, they're a really special part of my heart out in the world. And then also um, if anyone listening needs training or consulting or um, education on childhood trauma, trauma-informed parenting, um, children's grief and loss, please reach out to me at beth at bethtyson.com. All right. Beth, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for, for sharing your life too. And I so appreciate the work you do because it's it's very personal to me too. And I'm glad that children are getting the attention that they deserve. It's uh, a long time coming. I think a lot of us baby boomers, therapy just wasn't really something that anybody talked about. So I think these newer generations are a little more open to that. So definitely, definitely. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Let's stay in touch. Okay. Same here. Yes. Yes, we will. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for joining me today on Living Midland. I hope you found this episode insightful, meaningful, and maybe it's given you something to think about. I invite you to share your positive reviews or ideas on topics you would like me to touch on by leaving your comments on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Podchaser, or Podcast Addict. We are all divine beings who just want to be seen, heard, and loved. Have a beautiful day.